Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. you don't know, uh, we've been going through a series called Unrestricted, like the video just showed. We've been going through the book of Galatians, and a big theme in that book is how we as Christians, we are free in Christ. Jesus provides us with ultimate freedom, hence we are unrestricted. And a part of that is we don't work for our salvation. In fact, we can't work for our salvation. Justification is a complete work of Christ that he gives to us out of his good grace. And so we talked a lot about how those things apply to each of us as individuals, but today we're going to talk about what some of these things and what it means for us as a church, as a faith family, as a body of Christ. And so if you want to, you can turn to Galatians 6. That's where we're going to be. Um, if you're going to be using an app, go to the ESV version. Um, that'll, it'll help, uh, help you follow along there. Um, so while you are turning there or thumbing there, as it were, however you're, you're uh, getting to that passage, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are and for your perfect word. God, I pray that this morning uh, in, in my weakness, would you show yourself to be so strong? And God, would you do this for your glory and our good? Amen. So I've, I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again. Uh, the Bible is not about us and what we have to do. The Bible is about God, who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he is going to do. And in, in the Bible, there is a, a narrative or a storyline that runs through all of, of Scripture. And there's, it's, there's four parts to this, this storyline. It's creation, rebellion, redemption, and restoration. I'm going to break those down real quick. So creation, very, very simple. God created everything, including people, and everything was, was perfect for a time. Next is rebellion. Adam and Eve, though everything was perfect, they chose to sin, and that sin was passed down to all of their progeny, all of their descendants. We all have a sin nature, and we're enslaved to our sin. We're hostile towards God, until he saves us, and that's all because of this rebellion from Adam and Eve. Next is redemption. But God, because, of, because he wanted us to glorify himself and because of his great love for his people, set in motion a, a plan to redeem his people or to buy them out of this slavery. And this actually began in the Old Testament. We sang a little bit ago about promises that God made to Abraham through a covenant. God's redemptive plan actually began with Abraham, where he prophesied about there's going to come one. I'm going to bless the world through your descendants. And this plan hit its climactic phase when Jesus burst onto the scene. Uh, I guess you could say he was burst on, onto the scene. Um, and through him, he lived this perfect life, and he died a gruesome death, taking our sin on himself, burying that sin and destroying its power over each of us. And then just to show that Jesus' sacrifice and his efforts were perfectly sufficient in every way, God raised him from the dead in victory. And then 
Jesus empowered, he gathered and empowered a group of people and sent them out on mission to continue this redemptive plan. Creation, rebellion, redemption, finally, restoration. There's going to be a time when God says it's right that Christ will come back. He will crush Satan and sin uh, finally and crush all of his, his enemies. And he will usher in a new heavens and a new, worth, a new earth where we will reign with him in absolute perfect restoration. So that's kind of the storyline of, of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. That's the trajectory of scripture and it's the trajectory of, of human history. So here's the question. Right now, Foothills Church, 2021, where are we in that plan, in that arc? Where are we? You know? We're in that redemptive, that redemptive plan. We are living in a time when God is redeeming a people for himself. And, and, we, and in order to have a right understanding of who we are as the people of God, we must realize that we are just an extension of the men and women that Jesus sent out to display and declare and demonstrate his gospel. The church is his main vehicle that he uses to push his mission forward. We play a part individually, but as a corporate body of Christians, this is, is why we exist as a church. We are his ambassadors. We are his representatives, Christians on mission, working out the redemptive plan of God. And here's, here's something that's, that's really exciting that, gets, that should get us all really fired up. Um, do you realize that the church is the most unstoppable force on the planet? It's true. Uh, when, uh, whenever Jesus was, was walking the earth and he was talking to his disciples uh, in Matthew 16, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. He's, he's, he's telling them, I'm going to develop and I'm going to deploy my people. We're going to take the fight to Satan's front door. We're going to kick it in and we're going to take over. This is what, this is what Jesus said. And so when we come here on, on Sundays, it would be such a shame if we thought we were just coming to an auditorium to hear a recital. That's not what's happening. We're not coming to an auditorium to hear a recital. We're coming to an armory to be reloaded, to be trained, to be equipped, and to be unleashed on the world. And as Foothills Church, we have been strategically placed by God and empowered to continue that redemptive mission right here in Oconee County. Are you with me? Okay, we should be fired up about this. This is amazing. I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna watch Rocky and Braveheart eight times simultaneously. That's how, that's how fired up this makes me. All, all kidding aside, Jesus began a church because he has a mission. With all that in mind, let's go to Galatians 6. We've talked before that Paul wrote this, this letter to um, not just one church, but actually to a group of churches in Galatia. Galatia wasn't, uh, wasn't a city. It was actually a large area where Paul planted a number of churches. And so the letter was meant to be passed around to these churches kind of in a circular way. They'd get the letter, they'd read it, they'd study it, they'd talk about it, and then they would pass it on to the next church. And here's something we have to keep in mind. 
even though we are separated by a couple thousand years from the churches who would have originally read this letter, the mandate is no different. The application is no different. Um, The time and location is, but people aren't. A person living in 60 AD needs Jesus just as much as as someone living in 2021 AD. We are still, as God's people, supposed to reflect Christ and take his message outside of this church and into a culture. And so when we read this, you, we, we don't need to be detached. This is the most timeless and effective and timely book that exists. So in chapter 6, we see that Paul gives three, I think, three big ideas that I believe are, are marks for a unrestricted, gospel-centered church on mission. So that's the title of today's message, Three Marks of an Unrestricted, Gospel-Centered Church on Mission. So the first mark, number one, total intolerance of sin. Look what he says in verses one through three. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So he begins by telling, this, telling this, these churches, his readers, that sin can't be allowed to just exist within the body. Sin is insidious. Sin is a deadly disease that if not dealt with and just allowed to do what it wants within a body, it will damage, it will destroy, it will lead to death. Spiritually, it could leave somebody completely spiritually immobilized. And Paul states that if someone is caught up in or, or trapped, trapped in sin, think of, of someone um, who, who has a an, an addiction of some kind. They're caught in some kind of habitual sin. If that kind of thing exists, which it does, we all know that, is, that exists, maybe in each of us, when that is, is known, those who are walking in spirit-empowered freedom should come alongside that person and lift them up. You can think of this like a, a soldier who was wounded on the battlefield. He's gotten shot. He's laying there on the battlefield. If, if, if nothing happens, he will die. He will die there. But what this person needs is someone to come to his assistance, lift him up, dust him off, bandage a wound or two, and get him back into the fight before he becomes a casualty. And this is our duty as Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we do this for the good of the person, but also to make the body of Christ and the mission that we have, have uh, been given— as healthy and as effectual as possible. And we can, get, we can get real for a second. You can get real in church. Um, have you ever had to admit a weakness or a vulnerability before? Raise your hand. Easy or hard? So hard. Darn it, this is so stinking hard. You have to, you know, uh, acknowledge there's, there's a weakness in you. You have to acknowledge that somebody else has something that you need. You have to ask for support and you have to trust them, um, that, that trust that God, that they will, God will use them and they will help you in a healthy, godly way. It's really, really, really hard, but it's absolutely 
necessary. And it's a command from God that this is how his people act. This is a part of the freedom that we have been given in Christ. We don't have to be embarrassed by our sin. <laughs> Why? Because we're all sinners. We all have sin. There's not, if, if whoever you are in, in this room, whatever sin you are going with, there's probably a dozen other people who either are going through or have gone through the exact same sin. We don't have to feel embarrassed. Our pride doesn't have to prevent us from being healthy and from being effectual. This is a part of the freedom that God, that Jesus has provided for us. And so here's, so this is really hard and it's messy and complicated and all that. Here's the really good news. God created us in such a way that this kind of trust naturally happens within relationships with believers who are empowered by the Spirit and seeking godly things. Godly friendships, mentoring relationships allow for accountability. And this is one of the most important things for any believer. If you're trying to do the Christian life alone, you're going to fail. It's not how you were created. That's not how the church was supposed to exist. But our culture and our society and our pride continue to tell us that we can do this thing on our own. You can do it. Just pull yourself up. Just manage your sin. Just try really, really hard, and I bet you can do it. Isolation, secrecy, slinking around in the shadows like a cat. This is what, this is what the enemy wants. This is what our, our pride kind of wants. He wants us, our, the enemy wants us to believe lies and stay in the darkest dark that we can imagine. But here's the thing. Uh, Jesus is truth. Jesus is light. And most often he brings those aspects of himself to his people through his people. And he's so attentive. God is so good to us, so attentive. And he, and he knows how like emotionally fragile we are, which is why he has Paul write in that same passage about being, you know, whenever we restore this person, we should do it with humility. We should do it with gentleness. Okay, not point a lot of fingers and make this loud big thing. Hey, here's this guy. He's struggling with this. Everybody come help him. It's not what we do. We go to a person in humility, <laughs> being careful about them. But also, God also knows that we have a tendency to be really, really judgy about anything. We judge people. So I'll, I'll may, I won't put my limitations on you. I judge people probably a lot. <laughs> oh, you're left-handed? <laughs> Chevy, nice, right? This is, this is kind of the things that, that we do. We are really, really judgy, but this is not what we're supposed to do when we restore people. Uh, look what it says in verse three. Verse three, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. No one is too good or too important to help another member of their faith family. We humbly help one another out of this sin with gentleness, without judging, because we're all sinners. We're all, you know, have maybe gone through these things before, or maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, I don't have any habitual sin in my life. Fantastic. Someday, God might have you walk through something like that. So you'll depend on him more and look to people for help. When that happens, if that happens, you will want someone to come to you with humility, with gentleness, not judging you, and to help you in a godly way. We need Others, always. 
in every season of life. So now you might be thinking, okay, fine, I get it. I need to be in some raw, open, vulnerable relationships with other, other Christians. Fine. All right. How the heck do I do that? How do I find those people who will be all those things to me? What's, what's this process? All right. These kinds of connections are exactly what we strive for in our connect groups. These groups are specifically tailored to unite God's people in deep, meaningful, intentional, mission-empowering bonds. This is why they exist. If you don't know, I'm the connections pastor, okay? So this is kind of what I really like. Uh, And so if you're not involved in a connect group, get involved. You should have got a connection card as you came in. If you didn't, you can fill one out, drop in the basket. I will reach out to you and we'll get you going, all right? So do that. But don't, don't miss this. Those kind of relationships, do they happen really quick? No, it takes time, right? It takes a while to develop those kind of things. Here's the thing. Do not miss this. If you are struggling with the sin in your life right now that is damaging your relationships, that may even be damaging you from a, from a physical standpoint, if you are dealing with that, find someone immediately. Find a pastor. Fill, if you fill out, out a connection card and say, I need a pastor to call me like right now, I guarantee you, you will get a call within the next 24 hours, if not sooner. Fill out a card or just come find one of, the, one of the pastors. If you know who the pastors are, find us. We can provide some basic counseling. We can pray for you. We can uh, lead you in biblical truth. And we can provide people, put people around you that have gone through similar things that God has pulled out of and they can help you. We can help you. So find the help that you need. You can walk in freedom. Why? Because this is why Jesus died to redeem you, to pull you out, to pull us out of this slavery to sin. And he does this through his people and by his grace. But sin cannot be tolerated. It has to be dealt with. The second mark of an unrestricted gospel-centered church on mission is a resolute reliance on God's word. Look at verses six through eight here. He says, one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. So here in Paul six, or in, in, uh, in verse six, Paul writes that, that someone who is, is taught the word of God should uh, what does it say? Should, who has taught the word of God should share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, the word good things, what Paul, he, Paul is not saying here is, some of your translations may, may, may kind of make it seem like this, but it's not what he's saying. He's, he's not saying if, if you're being taught something by your pastors, you should provide for your pastors. You should share with your pastors materially and provide for them, you know, in, in, in physical ways. Those are good things, and you should do those things. The Bible commands us to do those things, but that's not what Paul is saying right here. For the, 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 word, the Greek word that Paul uses for good things is a, letter, is a word that he used in two other letters. And each time that word is referring to spiritual things. It's talking, it's talking about the gospel of Jesus. And so, so to, to put, um, yeah, so good things, it, it's, it seems to be, in, in our context, it seems to be referring to things that are, are spiritually and 
morally excellent things learned from, from God's word, okay? That's, that's what, what Paul's talking about here. So to kind of put it in my own, my own words, as you hear God's word being preached, put into practice those things within your body. As someone is preaching the word to you, do those things. Or as, as James puts it in his word, don't just, be, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And, and this makes sense. This makes sense because of what Paul goes on to say. Look what he says in verses 7 and 8. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. He says, God is not mocked. This is a great, a great word picture. That it means to turn your nose up at God. All right. I have a little daughter. Her name is Nora. Um, she's beautiful and fantastic, and we love her to death. This is what she does. When she finds something that she shouldn't have, like a, like a pen, let's just say, she finds a pen on a table, she'll pick it up, and I'll see her and say, Nora, you give that to Daddy. Please, sweetheart. Nora, you need to put that, put that down, and this is what, what she does. I'm really sad that that imitation is on the internet right now. But, um, but that's, that's what she does. Kids, anyone have kids that have done that exact same thing? She pulls it close, turns her head up, and just ignores. All right? But here's what she doesn't know. I know that the dangerous thing that she just picked up can hurt her. If she continues to play with this, this thing, whatever it is, um, it's going to, it could potentially harm her. It's not going to be good for her. What do you think God thinks uh, when we start messing around with stuff that he's told us not to? <laughs> this isn't going to go well for you. Don't ignore me. I know better, right? So we, we can't turn our noses up at God, ignore him, live however we want to live, and expect to reap anything positive. We can't sow the seeds of sin and expect to harvest the fruit of the Spirit. We are always going to reap the things that we sow. This is a consistent, timeless truth in every single context of life. But especially as it relates to spiritual things. When we follow our flesh, we're going to get flesh. But when we walk by the Spirit, we will be guided into those things that are spiritually and morally excellent. And in chapter 5, Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit. Say them with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, the one I always miss, gentleness, self-control, right? Show of hands, who wants more joy in your life? Fantastic. How about peace? Anyone need some self-control? Especially after a holiday based around eating so much, we could, you know, fast until Christmas. All of these, all of these virtues can only be ours through an unwavering, obedience and dependence on God's word to guide us in the things of the spirit. This is how we get joy. This is how we find peace is through God's word working in our midst and depending upon that working for everything. And we have to remember that the Bible, though it gives us information, that information will always bring transformation. Okay? Don't ever think that this is just some like history book that we just read and we try really hard to put into practice the things that it says. No, no, no. This book changes people. This changes our thinking. 
If you are sitting right here today and you are a believer and you heard the gospel of Jesus, where did the gospel come from? And it changed your life. God working through it by his grace, through his spirit, changed your life through the informational, transformational power of his word. And in in Romans, sorry, in in Hebrews, one of my favorite passages, Hebrews 4.12, talking about God's word, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirits, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God's word is like the sharpest knife you can possibly imagine, and it cuts through your skin, I hope no one's like queasy. It cuts through your skin and it cuts through your bones and your muscles and it cuts through your heart, but not like your physical heart, your heart like the thing that drives you. Cuts that open and exposes our deepest desires and our deepest motivations. And and the purpose, the purpose for this kind of soul surgery is to reveal what is good, what is godly, in us, what is good, healthy, spiritual meat, but also to expose the things that are flesh, what are gristle, what are fatty, and are good for nothing. And through this process, God begins to cut away that bad stuff, and we become more spiritually mature. We become more holy. We start to walk more in the gifts of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And like this, we become more like Christ. And this is huge. Every member of the body of Christ, we should all have this, this deep and even deepening desire to consume the transforming word of God. And here's why. As we become more like Christ, We do more of the things that he did with the heart that he did them. Was was Jesus about people? Yes, that's that's a yes. Um, Was he really intentional, do you think, with those that were in his life? 100%. When we consume his word and we are transformed and we begin walking in in uh, the fruit of the spirit, we become more intentional in the way that we engage people. And in so doing, we become more missionally minded, which is how the church is intended to be. So let, let's think about this for a second. Um, something that is a misconception that might be subconscious in a lot of ways. Think about an unbeliever that you know, someone who doesn't know Christ. Their best case, the best case scenario for them is not that they would come to this building on a Sunday morning and hear one person talk at them and preach the gospel to them one time, okay? Is that, is that a good thing? Yes, that's a good thing. Anytime someone can preach the gospel and have two ears to listen to it, that is a positive thing, but that's not the best case scenario. The best case scenario is that God's people walking in his power who un- understand and love his word take Jesus, take the gospel outside of these walls to the people who don't know Jesus, who we already have a relationship with. And so walls are down. We don't wait for someone to come to Jesus. We take Jesus to them. This is, this is God's plan. He's pretty smart. He kind of knows how to, how to do this thing. It's his missional method to take Jesus and the gospel into a culture that desperately, desperately needs it. 
An unrestricted, gospel-centered church on mission will love the Word of God, obey the Word of God, and be utterly dependent on transformation through the Word of God for each other, for our own joy and peace and fellowship, but also for the effectiveness of the mission of God. Lastly, the third mark of an unrestricted, gospel-centered church on mission is the most important one of all. Complete confidence in Christ. Paul, in verses 12 to 14, he kind of closes his letter by differentiating between those, those guys that were coming into the church and deceiving, preaching things that were not of, of the Lord, and leading people away. So Paul differentiates between them and their motivations versus him and his motivations. Look what it says, verses 12 to 13. It said, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even these, or even those who are circumcised, do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So Paul says that these false teachers have several issues. Number one, they're motivated, motivated by religious pride, wanting to impress others by their false piety. They don't care about God. That's not why they're doing this. They're doing these things because they want to look good to people. Look at all the things that I know that you don't. That's me, right? That, this is what these guys were, were wanting to do. They were putting on airs. They want to look good and impress people. That's number one. The second thing, they, they were scared of being persecuted. They knew that what the truth was, but they didn't want to preach it because they knew that they were going to be persecuted just like these churches were. And so they continued to preach this false doctrine, try to get people to come to their side so that when they went home to their false leaders who would be the ones persecuting them, those people wouldn't because they would see, oh, you got some people to come to your, your, your dark side. Okay, you're still, you're, still, uh, you're still on the team. And thirdly, they boast in the way that they get others to keep the law even though they themselves don't. They boast in the flesh. They put all of their confidence in their own effort and what they do, and it leads them absolutely nowhere. Um, you guys are familiar with the whole uh, infinity pool thing. It's like a hot tub, but you exercise in it. I think that's basically what it is. It has this engine and it provides a, a current and you swim against it, right? And you can swim for hours, but never really go anywhere. This is what it looks like to attempt to attain of anything spiritual value while depending on your own efforts. You can try, try, try. You can swim, 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 but all you are going to do is wear yourself out and drown, drown, drown in your own useless, self-righteous efforts. Fear of man, people-pleasing, egotistical, narcissistic, religious fools. This is what Paul has been saying in this entire book. This is who we're dealing with. Anybody that tries to depend on their own efforts, their own flesh for a right standing before God useless. But now look what Paul writes about how he feels about things. Verse 14. 
He says, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He boasts in nothing but what Christ has done and what it means for him. Paul writes, I give all praise and all glory to Jesus because of his efforts, his death, and what he put on me on my behalf. And now the world, I'm, I'm dead to that, freed from sin, all that flesh, dead. Now I'm alive to Christ. Foothills. What are we basing our life on? Are we feeling really good about ourselves that we're a part of Foothills Church, biggest church in the county? Here we are. That's us. Maybe you're sitting here and you feel really proud of the fact that you come to the church and you serve and you give and you're part of a connect group. And in all these things, we think that we are somehow more righteous before God as if, God, you can bring us some of the salvation, like 90%. We'll go ahead and take care of the rest. Don't worry about this. Right? Are we, are we trying to get our value and our worth from the people we know, the, the way that we perceive people think about us? This person likes me, so I have value. Or I'm really good at my, vac- uh, my vocation, and so I have worth. We can't boast in ourselves. We can't put our confidence in ourselves, in our religious effort. If we do, the cross of Jesus will be of no good to us. Why? Because we're trying to be our own savior. God's grace cannot be demanded. God's grace cannot be merited or wouldn't be grace. Instead, we look to Jesus. We fall at Jesus's feet and say, here we are. We want what you have. We want what you freely give. This is all we have. We want to run to Jesus. We want to worship Jesus. He alone provides what our hearts and our souls are aching for. He is the cornerstone. He is the bedrock, the foundation, the solid rock where we build and base our life on we boast in him and we, let, and we take him to a dark and a dying world because he is their only hope. This is our charge. This is our mandate. This is our mission. This is our calling as an unrestricted gospel-centered church on mission right here in this place, in this county, with the people that we know and love and are in a relationship with and who need Christ. To close today and our, our series, I want, I want to read a passage of, of Scripture that Paul wrote in Colossians. This passage is all about the supremacy and the superiority of Jesus Christ. This is what he says. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the body of, he, uh, he, 
He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in everything, he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, us, we who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. If you have been depending on yourself, on your, in your own efforts, Jesus is better than you. His efforts are better. His efforts are completely sufficient for anything that you could possibly need. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, maybe for the first time, you've heard this before, maybe for the first time today, these things are starting to resonate in you. You've been trying so hard to do this whole thing by yourself and you are getting nowhere. If, if these things are speaking to you, if, if you feel God is drawing you in to himself, into his family, into his mission for the first time, and you just want to acknowledge that, maybe just pray a prayer like this. You can just pray, Jesus, I know that I need you. I know that I am a sinner and that no effort of my own will get me anywhere. But Jesus, I acknowledge you as my Lord and my Savior. I repent of my sin and confess my utter need for you. Help me by your grace and through your spirit to live a life that is honoring to you. In your name we pray. Amen. And Jesus, we, do, we thank you for this time together. And we just as a body of Christ, we declare, we confess that we have nothing without you. We declare that we are utterly dependent upon you to move in each of us and as a corporate body. God, we want Foothills Church to be a place that is known for being Jesus lovers. Jesus followers, people that don't depend on themselves, don't look at who we are or what we do and think that we're so great because we have nothing, Jesus, if it weren't for you. We want to boast in you alone. So God, would you allow us to do that, God? And would you do it for your glory and our good? Amen.